Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I wrote an article for US Bets on Tuesday titled, NFL Season is Over, What Now? Sports Betters, in which I set forth the calendar of all the major sporting events coming up between now and the start of the next NFL season. But as John pointed out to me, I missed one, the Players' Championship in March, which by leaving it off the list, I exposed myself as not the most knowledgeable golf guy. Uh, I I cannot dispute the charge. Uh, In any case, uh, John, here's a fun question to start the show. Give me your top three, counted down from three to one, events you're looking forward to betting on between now and the end of summer. Uh, That is a good one, Eric. Um, I would say three would have been the Olympics this summer, but I don't think they're going to happen. So I'm going to take them off the list. Uh, instead, I'll say the NFL draft, believe it or not. I got into that for the first time last year. And there's a lot of fun props, such as, you know, how many players from a conference are going to take it in the first round, how many quarterbacks could take it, and so on. So I think I'm going to be into that again. Uh, let's see. Number two, I would say the Masters. Um, nice to see it back in its regular calendar slot. And I have hopes of, you know, at least modest galleries for that, too. Um, Amen Corner early in the back nine still provides some, you know, dramatic lead changes. Always has, assuming Bryson DeChambeau hasn't figured out how to squash the layout like a bug just yet. He didn't in the fall. So I have hopes there. Number one, though, has got to be March Madness. You know, that's the first big one we missed out on last year. And the big decline in interconference games and erratic schedules for the various teams. I think it makes us amateur betters believe we can unlock some kind of edges over the books. It it may be uh, fantasy, but it's sort of an exciting time for that. Right. All right. Interesting choices. I might have included NFL draft among my top three, except in my state, we can't bet on it. So, uh, uh, yeah, and it's not worth driving to New Jersey over, uh, at least not quite. But um, as for the golf stuff, uh, certainly a very fun sport from a betting perspective. Uh, I'm sure the Masters or or one of the other majors would be in my top three if I had any real clue who to bet on. But I don't. So while I will likely make a small bet or two, I I can't put uh, can't put any golf in my top three. And one other thing I can include is the Fury Joshua fight because it isn't signed yet. I think it's going to happen. And I look Mm -hmm. forward to betting on Fury when it does, but can't include that in my top three. Uh, I would go French open number three, not because it's so fun to bet, but just because you find the best odds out there on the doll. And then you collect at the end of two weeks. Um, (laughs) Number two, I'll go March madness. Uh, I don't follow college basketball until March. Uh, I really haven't since I was in college uh, back, back when the stars were Allen Iverson and Kerry Kittles and Corliss Williamson and the like. Uh, But it's just so fun to bet tons of action going on at once. And maybe I'll acquire some knowledge about the teams and players as the tournament goes along. Uh, But number one for me, You're absolutely right that it's probably not going to happen, but on the off chance it does happen, I'm going with the Olympics. It's like the constant options and action of March Madness times 10. Uh, You know, betting small amounts, of course. I think it could be a lot of fun to get myself some rhythmic gymnastics sweats, some race walking sweats, some modern pentathlon sweats. I I am going to decimate our bankroll this summer if the Olympics happens, John. 
Yeah, there, there's a, a really dumb event that they added this year, and I can't remember what it is, but uh, uh, rhythmic gymnastics made me think of it. It's like, right. um, that's like exercise, and it's uh, very <laughs> right. good for uh, you know, your physical health, and I recommend it to people who can do it, but you know me, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist, and yes, uh, that... a skate, skateboarding, may, well, see, that that's not even as bad, but it was right. something so something weird that they're planning for this year that I don't think it's going to happen. There, there are all sorts of ridiculous Olympic sports, and I just remember about uh, 20 years or so ago, they were talking about uh, making the card game bridge an Olympic sport. And my dad, <laughs> my dad was like a serious uh, nationally ranked bridge player. And so my brothers and I had, had some fun joking at the idea of him uh, in the Olympic parade, wearing uh, the Olympic warmups to, to play bridge. So I, I think probably the Olympics made the right call, not making bridge an Olympic sport. At least. Meanwhile, they got rid of softball. Cause that's like, that's not a sport. I think pretty sure it is, but yeah, and, I'm pretty sure. It yeah. Is. I mean, baseball is more complicated with the pros and amateurs and whatever else, but uh, softball, I thought was an obvious one. So yeah. um, just tossing a softball out there. <laughs> there you go. Nicely done. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 129 of gamble on just one away from when we're due to have Pete Rose on. Uh, if you missed any of our previous 128 <laughs> episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And of course, send us your ideas for questions we should ask Pete next week. Oh, absolutely. Uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by 888 Holdings Senior Vice President and Head of the U.S., Yaniv Sherman. He's going to expound on what the recent court ruling regarding the Wire Act means for online poker and what it would mean if any of the big four states passed legislation, and even a hint on which one is most likely, actually. Uh, but first, it's been a busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We're only doing two news items this week instead of the usual three, but you'll see why. These are meaty and have multiple sub-items. First, let's talk about Super Bowl betting. Various states reported their wagering numbers starting Monday. In New Jersey, the handle was a staggering $117.4 million, more than double the previous year's total. And the sportsbooks cleaned up, holding 9.6% after posting a negative hold the previous two years. In Pennsylvania, the handle was up, although not quite as dramatically, increasing about 75% to $53.6 million. But the books crushed the betters with a hold of 17.6%. It seems Pennsylvania betters backed Andy Reid again, which paid off in 2020, but not 2021. Uh, right. Illinois sports books also did well, holding 16.8% of the nearly $46 million wagered. In Nevada, handle was the highest in the nation, $136.1 million, but that's a 12% decline from last year due to diminished visitation. The books there had a solid 9.3% hold. Uh, but then there are two states that have reported where the betters beat the books. You can take the quarterback out of New England, but you can't take the support for him out of the New England sports books as New Hampshire betters won 23.9% on $7.1 million in bets. And Colorado produced $31.2 million in handle, but had a negative hold of almost 4%. Some of that might be because Broncos fans enjoyed betting against the Chiefs, although there's another major factor we'll discuss shortly. But before we get into some of the other Super Bowl betting topics, John, thoughts on the handle and the hold that's been reported so far? Well, I was surprised that Nevada did as well as it did. Um, there must have been more tourism there that we realized. Uh, I'm assuming Californians who previously registered at a Las Vegas casino didn't just stop at the first rest stop across the Nevada line and drop big numbers on their mobile phones. So uh, I, even though it was down, I think it was uh, it was better than I expected. Mm -hmm. uh, also notable that New Jersey basically doubled its volumes, and the books won for the first time in three years. Uh, they erased all of their two years of losses on the big game. Oh, by Massachusetts, I had uh, somebody respond on Twitter, uh, hearing that New Jersey, uh, the Treasury gets more than a million dollars on one day from the uh, uh, tax on the gross gaming revenues, uh, complaining that, oh, my state of Massachusetts would have, how much money would we have made? And of course, uh, as with New, New Hampshire, it would have been zero because with no gross gaming <laughs> revenue for the books that day, the, there's no tax on it either. Um, and then um, I would say Pennsylvania didn't impress me at all, but maybe the Eagles and Steelers have been to the Super Bowl in recent years. So those fan bases might have been more turned off by the game than most. And you mentioned the Andy Reid factor, which probably helped the handle. But 
it still it was it was kind of weak at the yeah, you're, you're right. I'm not sure why Pennsylvania handle is so much lower than New Jersey. You'd think they'd be closing that gap a, a bit by now. Um, you mentioned Massachusetts. And yeah, we haven't seen Rhode Island's numbers yet. But if past years are any indication, they will look like New Hampshire's. Uh, good, good for the betters, bad for the operators. Um, just sort of looking at it nationally, whenever the under comes in on the points total in a game, you're probably looking at a good day for the sports books overall. You know, the public knows this chief's offense and maybe overlooks how devastating the offensive line injuries will prove to be. Uh, they know the names Mahomes and Brady and they expect points and they bet the over plus in terms of props, less scoring is good for the books. If you bet on Kelsey Hill, Williams, Edwards, Alaire, Mahomes, Brady, Evans, or Godwin to score an anytime touchdown. You lost on any and all of those guys uh, with, with a few exceptions, the unders on individual player yards mostly prevailed. So, you know, even if the books got pretty even action on the spread and the money line, they should have come out ahead elsewhere due to the fact that this was uh, not, not the offensive slugfest that a lot of people were anticipating. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that because I was focusing more on uh, the the hold was high. But I'm thinking of traditional bets, but really prop bets are so popular. And just imagine, like you say, watching that game, you've got five of those maybe of what you listed. And you figure, well, you know, something will go over. If this guy doesn't have a big game, the other guy will. And I'm sure to cash in. And and with those, you know, sometimes in the first half, you win your bet or in third quarter. And you, you got something in the, in the, in the bank, right? And then you, you try and see if you can come out ahead with the later ones. And this one, you just <laughs> sat there and uh, lost. <laughs> after loss after loss so game was sort of a boring and frustrating for a lot of people anyway but um i'm realizing yeah with props it was even worse yeah all right well we we talked about the the handle records being set uh in, in a lot of states there um but uh, the next part of the super bowl betting story is that handle likely would have been even higher if not for outages at some of the mobile sports books during the game we've seen this before with some of the apps during high traffic betting events and on sunday at least five books barstool betmgm DraftKings, fanduel and bet rivers experienced outages and at times couldn't take bets at least one of the operators went out of its way to make it up to some customers as Barstool Sportsbook was running a promotion where people who placed a specific $100 bet would have had a one in 10 shot at a free $1,000. And Barstool ultimately put $1,000 in all of those customers' accounts. Uh, but for everybody else trying to use these sites, the outages certainly caused major frustration. John, how bad is this for the industry, especially in states that just recently launched and are still trying to make a first impression? Yeah, I'm a bit surprised this is still happening. You know, if the books had seen this coming, couldn't they have offered, you know, for example, more odds boosts expiring an hour before the game? So you divert a certain amount of people who were procrastinators instead of game time being what they feel like is the deadline. Although, of course, you can do in-game betting, but a lot of people don't think of it that way. Um, so make it an hour before where you're going to get a little bit of a better of a better number. And then you, you kind of spread the wealth a little bit. Um, you know, I tried to get into DraftKings in New Jersey at the, right an hour before the game, and I couldn't. Yeah, I was pretty dumb. Much done with my picks anyway, and I was a net winner. Uh, I'd like to add, um, <laughs> and I had other legal options too. But yeah, I suspected for the newest of states, there were betters just about to sign up or having only one account uh, and getting blocked there. Um, that's a fairly good way to lose the most casual of customers. I mean, they're probably not high volume and 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 high revenue, but uh, still, you know. In any business, a lot of people just walk away. You know, if your food's not that great at the restaurant, you know, you're grateful for the guy who complains about how, you know, how rancid the meat tasted, because at least then, you know, there's a reason people aren't coming back, whereas most people don't bother. They don't want to get involved. So they just don't go back again. And I think that's going to happen with these books. And they're not really going to know exactly why in many cases. So I do think it's an issue. And uh, I'm again, I'm a little bit surprised that. Uh, don't know anything about technology, but uh, I, I thought they could handle this better. Yeah. So Camby tried to explain their outages on an earnings call this week, and they were claiming it wasn't due to bet volume, but rather due to one type of bet with numerous possible outcomes that somehow screwed them up. Uh, reading between the lines, I'm guessing maybe they're talking about the first touchdown score bet. I know that's a popular one and it does have, you know, 50 different outcomes that you can bet on. Um, so they're claiming they now know what the problem was and it won't happen again. I don't know. Uh, it's notable that their outages, they, they say mostly came between 
5.05 Eastern and kickoff at 6.30, which is the absolute worst time for an outage and syncs up with with what you were saying, uh, you experienced trying to get on DraftKings. Yeah. Um, I was on DraftKings after kickoff using the app uh, because they had a special 25% profit boost on a live bet. So I was trying to make one and I couldn't get it done for the first 15 minutes or so, the boost wouldn't show up in my app. Like the app was working. It's not that it was totally crashed, but I had to keep logging in and out a bunch of times before I finally got the bet down. So, so that doesn't totally align with Camby's statement, although I am a sample size of one. So yeah, like you, I'm not totally sure what's going on here, but I would have thought they would have figured this out by now and to have it happen during the Super Bowl is, uh, is really bad for business. Well, I mean, what helps is that, you know, as exciting and as uh, high volume as March Madness is, um, there isn't just one opening kickoff, right? So there will be people, you know, looking to get bets down right before, you know, noon Eastern tip off or whatever on the first day. But um, it's not going to be this kind of this kind of number. So I don't think they'll have any problem in uh, in March Madness. If they do, then they've really got some issues. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And last thing to cover here, I mentioned there was a big reason Colorado came out behind on the Super Bowl. That reason's name is Mattress Mac. The Houston furniture entrepreneur placed one of his famous multi-million dollar hedge bets, hedging on a promotion he ran at his store if the Bucks won the Super Bowl. So he bet $3.46 million on Tampa in Colorado, where DraftKings agreed to take his bet. As Jeff Edelstein noted in a U.S. Bets article, it's a questionable look from DraftKings when one better can get down over $3 million and many other betters can't get approved for one-tenth of 1% of that. Uh, John, where do you fall on the publicity given to Mattress Mac's store and to the sports books he uses and on whether it's a bad look to limit some betters but not others? Yeah, I, I actually met Mattress Mac at the FanDuel Sportsbook in the Meadowlands in 2019, uh, making one of his Astros bets, Houston Astros. Uh, I describe him as someone who should teach a graduate level course uh, at universities in marketing. Uh, you know, a lot of people try to limit media questions to five minutes or lower than that. You know, it frustrates them when if you just spend an extra 15 or 20 minutes, your publicity is so much better. I mean, Mac completely gets that. He's smooth as silk and, uh, you know, whatever you need, you, you know, pose in this pose, Whatever it is, he, he'll go for it. Uh, he's media catnip, so you know, I can't knock that aspect. Uh, I was catnip myself. <laughs> and while the frustration of pro betters is a legitimate complaint, you know, Matrick Mac strikes me as a sui generis, a legal term I, I heard and read often over the years in that six years. New Jersey sports betting case. Uh, It's such a unique situation. It doesn't really, you can't compare it to anything else, including the issues, the legitimate issues about pro betters being limited in their numbers. Yeah. So I get it totally from Mattress Mac's perspective. You're you're right. He's a master marketer and it's a win-win for him. I don't blame him for making the bet and getting the publicity. The books, I would like to see them consider the appearance and the hypocrisy and the inconsistency here. Um, And also a a lot of people in the sports media and gambling media played into it, celebrating the bet. Uh, So, you know, I'm proud that our company found a way to cover it without glorifying it. Uh, But, you know, there will always be those who are happy to go for the clickbait and run a story that's simply about a dude betting $3 million on the Super Bowl. I I get why the media outlets jump on that. Uh, I'm glad that we found a way to cover it without uh, covering it in the way that maybe DraftKings would have wanted us to. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. There's uh, there's no reason to ignore it. And right, we don't, the fact that we're explaining what's happening, right, doesn't mean we're promoting it. It just means that, you know, the, the, the listener, the reader can make their own decision on whether they like this guy, they don't like this guy, they like the story, they don't like the story. Um, you know, we don't have to censor it and we don't have to glorify it. So yeah, I'm comfortable with how we approached it. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to something not connected to Super Bowl betting. Uh, Our second news story this week, two states far west of where we are made some headlines with possible sports betting legislation this week. Let's start with a biggie, Texas. On Monday, the Dallas Cowboys and four other Texas teams said they supported a constitutional amendment to legalize sports wagering, which seemed like a big deal that would create some significant positive momentum. But the very next day, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, uh, no, not the former Sports Center host, different Dan Patrick, told a local radio station, quote, not on my watch, and said a sports betting amendment won't see the light of day in this session. 
we know there's a lot of opposition to legal gambling in Texas, and Patrick insists the votes won't be there. For what it's worth, Patrick's term expires in 2022. Uh, we are seeing better news out of Arizona, at least. Uh, how much better? That's hard to say. Uh, a pair of sports betting bills were filed last week, reportedly with the support of Governor Doug Ducey, allowing up to 30 mobile licenses and in-person betting at tribal casinos, racetracks, and pro sports venues. On Tuesday, the Arizona House Committee moved one of the bills forward. However, on Wednesday, the Senate committee was supposed to take up the bill and didn't, with sources telling our colleague Jill Dorson at Sports Handle that the bill doesn't have the votes in the state Senate. Prior to Wednesday's unexpected bump in the road, Jill had written that this could progress quickly and mobile betting in Arizona has a shot at launching in 2021. Uh, John, what do you make of Arizona's chances and timeline now? And should we assume the dream is dead in Texas until there's a new lieutenant governor? Yeah, well, I'm thinking of two incredibly powerful forces in the Lone Star State there. You know, the Office of the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, unlike that role in most states, which is kind of as an alternate, uh, you know, versus the former America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I'll just knock that state out for both 2021 and 2022, at least, though. Um, my sense in Arizona is... Uh, they're pretty much taking a rare approach, which is getting the ducks in a row behind the scenes first and then filing and moving the bill forward when they have they have the votes they need. So, you know, I've mentioned New Jersey uh, where for years no bill on any topic has even gotten a committee hearing without a go ahead from the state Senate president. It doesn't feel very democratic, but there's a certain efficiency to it. And I think they're kind of uh, matching that model. So while it's not a good sign that the bill was delayed, I think it also hints to you that as soon as the bill moves forward at all, it's not just going to be, well, let's see what happens and we'll uh, cross our fingers with the vote. It's going to be, we know we have the votes, now we're moving forward. So uh, even though it's uh, a short term, a little bit of a negative, I think that the signal here is that once they move it forward, it's not going to be one of these, oh, and now it got stuck in committee or, or it never got a full vote or any of that. I think this thing is, is uh, going to be A to Z once it gets started. So it's going to be tougher to get started than, you know, Ohio or Massachusetts. Some of these other states are always hearing about all these possibilities. But I think uh, in the end, I think they may leave those uh, states in the dust by getting this done ahead of them. Yeah, that's that's good analysis there. Um, I'll just quickly hit on Texas that it was never going to happen quickly. I believe even if yeah. Patrick was on board and things advanced this year, that 2023 was the earliest that sports betting could possibly come to the state based on how constitutional yeah. amendments work there. So uh, now it now I guess you'd look at it and say, well, 2023 would be optimistic. That's sort of the earliest case scenario, maybe. Um, but yeah, probably so. Yeah, then they have more uh, irons in the fire in terms of gambling expansion, too, which could complicate matters also. Can they do, you know, Pennsylvania did probably the most comprehensive <laughs> gambling bill in the country, even right. before uh, sports betting was legalized, it was in there. And New York State did that somewhat about eight years ago, although they haven't exactly been efficient since then. But um, so I'm not sure if Texas can be able to pull together that kind of omnibus bill that uh, tackles all of the gambling issues at once. Right. Um, yeah. And as for Arizona, it's going to come down to the tribes and what they're on board with uh, and when it, it, it would seem, uh, you know, once most of the big tribes are on board, it sounds like it'll get done. And yeah, supposedly Governor Ducey had worked out a deal in principle with the tribes, but then none of the representatives of the bigger tribes in the state were present at the House committee hearing on Tuesday. So that should have been a sign that maybe there's still some kinks to work out. But yeah, I, I like your analysis there that once they get it all worked out behind the scenes, then then it'll start moving and it should move quickly. Certainly people in Arizona should feel more encouraged right now than, than people in Texas. Although I guess I would still say they shouldn't necessarily expect anything to happen too quickly and too easily. Uh, maybe this year, at least that's a plus. <laughs> right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. If the tortoise in the fable was correct, and indeed slow and steady wins the race, then online poker is winning the gambling expansion race. It has been moving frustratingly slowly, but one by one, states are getting on board and offering legal online poker. And thanks to a First Circuit Court of Appeals ruling last month, 
interstate pooling is no longer in any sort of gray area, meaning Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and other states will soon be creating larger pooled poker networks. Joining us now to talk about the present and future of online poker is 888 Holdings Senior Vice President and Head of the U.S., Yaniv Sherman. Yaniv, it's been a little while since we've spoken to you. Welcome back to Gamble On. Oh, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. So for much of the last two years, there had been some uncertainty about the Wireax application to poker and whether multiple states would be able to pool players going forward. That has now been cleared up. The latest DOJ opinion on the Wire Act has been struck down. How consequential is this ruling for online poker? W would you go so far as to say this is vital, that online poker could never really succeed in the U.S. without interstate liquidity? Well, first of all, definitely, uh, technically, just, uh, you know, to align and, and to pay, uh, you know, the right type of or, or put in context, this is technically, this can still be appealed technically, although the feedback that we're receiving across the board is it's highly unlikely under the new administration. But generally speaking, I think that poker has been the number one victim of this new new opinion through, I think, through the past two years, it's been clarified that it does not, this latest opinion does not pertain to certain activities. And poker was with the last one left out there with uh, policymakers and regulators reluctant to, um, you know, stick their, uh, stick their finger into the vice and, and uh, really deal with it until there's more clarity. Uh, but interstate liquidity is vital. I mean, we're seeing it, we have the, the um, perspective and the ability to look at this on a global level. And uh, even with connecting Nevada and New Jersey, we saw the amazing uptick of the of the uh, 888 powered uh, WSOP network that sort of exploded on the back of that connection. So we see the effect, even the larger states, I mean, just to give it a bit of context, you know, we operate in Spain uh, um, and, and the UK and other markets. Um, it takes a relatively large amount of uh, relevant constituency to sustain an attractive poker network. Even states like, um, you know, like Michigan, like Pennsylvania with about 11, 12 million people in its population is, uh, is, is a bit short when you talk about standalone networks. So pooling is, is vital and it also, it creates that sort of um, uh, ascending spiral or that domino effect, exponential growth that uh, poker out of all of the gaming products Poker is really the one that enjoys a network effect. The more people join, the better it gets, the more attractive it is, and then more people join. So we're looking for that spiral to kick in, hopefully shortly. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, you talked about, we've talked about this for years, you know, New Jersey goes back to 2013 on this, and so does Delaware uh, and Nevada, actually. So, um, and they've been together for a few years. And uh, as you say, it was a big uptick with Nevada, but uh, joining New Jersey, but not quite enough. So do they just need Pennsylvania? Do they need Pennsylvania and Michigan to really get to what most people's description of uh, good liquidity would be? Do they need maybe a state beyond that? Or, you know, how, how far along do they have to get where uh, the, the incremental gains on extra states is not even as critical anymore? Just because, it, you know, at this point, people are thinking, as long as I can get a game, I'll take it. Obviously, the more cherishes they have and, and, and all that, the better, but they, they just want to have options for whatever they want to play at, whatever level they want to play at. So how much more do, say, the, the New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada compact need to, to get to where they want to be? Oh, well, I think that right now we were able to build with, with you know, with Caesars, with our partners, WSOP is already enjoying some he a healthy liquidity trend. I think it also, you know, when you separate, if you want to really get granular around it, it it's um, a lot of the preference, especially for new players, actually um, tilts towards tournaments. So you want to maintain... Uh, attractive prize pool and, and uh, a tournament schedule that sort of caters to the your right uh, the, the player base. We, we we consider ourselves as do WSOP as a very wide range um, uh, facing product with recreational players alongside it's called more uh, sharky or, or professional players. Um, but I think that any other state that you add right now is pure upside. Uh, the good thing is that both states that we have on the ballot, Pennsylvania and Michigan. Uh, have significant liquidity potential. We already see that. So I would say it's not, um, it wasn't a, a, a must have. Connecting dental, uh, New Jersey and, and Nevada was pretty much, you know, a must have. We had to have that enough critical mass. I think we cleared that mass, yeah. but both Pennsylvania and Michigan 
would introduce, um, you know, put the, the network on a, on a whole new level from attractiveness. And it's also, it also the, the product variety is different today. We offer different types of games to different types of players. So that would really be, I would say that would really supercharge the network. It's not, it's not a must have, but it, it helps us compete a lot more effectively. Well, you, you mentioned uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan. Those are obviously the two states that have uh, gone legal and launched online poker, but uh, 888 has not launched there yet. Um, what are 888's plans in terms of the, the timing for 888 and or the WSOP brand when they'll be coming to, to those states? Do you have a, a sense of that? Well, we've already sort of, you know, we've already licensed in Pennsylvania, so naturally Pennsylvania is really up, high up there. I think you're, you're right in the sense that timing is everything in this in this regard. Ideally, what we would have liked to have happened is that the um, the opinion or the ruling would come a lot earlier, and then we would have been able to maybe get everything done in, in one effective swoop. Uh, that didn't happen, but so it's now a matter of prioritizing, and, and um, it's not, it used to be if we do it. Now, happily, it's not if, it's how we do it and when we do it. Um, I don't want to get into too many details here because this is still pending a, a few regulatory conversations. Mm -hmm. It's a complicated conversation, although the regulators, all of them, have been uh, extremely supportive and um, really instrumental in, in getting this across. You have the association, the three states that are already connected. Our end game is to get everyone on the same network. We may need to take a phased approach before we get to that end game sooner rather than later. Uh, but the end game is pretty clear. Poker, as I said, is a, you know, a lot more, had a lot more operational aspects to it. So you actually need the end game would need to have four or five regulators having players on the same pool coordinated in their approach towards that network. And then allowing us, you know, 888 to operate that it involves a clearinghouse and clause some change management. So I would say that, um, it's, it's uh, a few variables in this equation. We're knocking them one by one uh, with the relevant regulators. Uh, and I think so far um, we've been having good success. So I would, again, I don't wanna um, overstate, but we're, we're looking to get Pennsylvania and then Michigan live under which exact network constellation is still yet to be seen. But I think, again, the end game is pretty clear is to get all players on the same liquidity pending regulatory approvals. But that's what we're working towards. Okay. I'm curious for your take on a, a topic John and I were discussing last week. How many brands do you think the U.S. online poker ecosystem can really sustain? I was thinking, you know, three or four, that it isn't like sports betting where a dozen brands might all do well. Do, do you agree with that, that it'll be a more limited number ultimately than what we're seeing with sports betting? I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that poker needs to be looked at from two different angles. Uh, one is a pure you know, vertical. As a pure vertical, I think it will always come third behind sports betting and casino, just on the sheer size, but it's also a chicken and egg kind of situation because the other angle is, again, poker is so liquidity driven and so many, it's also not something that you turn on and off like a machine, like a car. Casino, I don't want to say it doesn't have late entrance, but if you go in a market late with casino, it's down to your execution and your content and other variables. Trying to um, take market share in a poker uh, environment not, requires not just capital, requires know-how and some operational proficiency that most platforms and operators by now already lack. People have mostly looked away from it. And that's why we were able to succeed, quite frankly. I mean, we've had competition through the years. We launched, uh, we didn't, we weren't for, first in Nevada. Uh, um, and uh, when we connected the network, uh, you know, we weren't the biggest back then. But the fact that we had that muscle, well-trained, we had the products to put in uh, is extremely important. So I think that there'll be, it might be a smaller vertical, but there'll be a lot, a lot less competition uh, in that landscape. And that's what we're banking on because we want to be um, a category leader uh, and have a, maybe a bigger piece of a smaller pie, but it's still, we believe it's a significant pie. And the other point is, as more state introduce gaming to their product mix, poker is, is a very effective and it's almost a crucial gateway to other products. So, you know, the fact that we develop our own proprietary tech stack and we're able to cross 
seamlessly between casino, poker, and sport is has the utmost um, importance because beyond the race right now, it looks like a race to the bottom in terms of you know uh, market share. Um, you do need to chart a course at some point to running an, a profitable enterprise in the U.S. And for us globally, and also in the U.S., poker has been pivotal in that mix. I mean, poker has really been punching above its weight class in that regard. So I think people are slight, you know, I don't want to say they're overlooking because even if you wanted to go into that field by now, um, as I said, it's not a trivial exercise. The entry barrier is a lot, a lot higher than what people perceive initially. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Neve, when I look at the Midwest, uh, I look back to the casinos in the 1990s. What happened there was one state would adopt, would adopt casino gambling, and then the neighboring states would try to preserve the market share of their residents. So there was a competition. And sports betting has been that same way, too. And so they're really piggybacking off each other. And I would think that's going to happen with online poker and, and presumably online casino. Although in the case of online poker, you're, you're welcoming that neighboring state, perhaps, because it's giving you better liquidity and you want to get in with as many states as possible. So um, I'm thinking of that on the one hand, but then a lot of listeners are most interested in what about California, Texas, New York, these huge prizes. Well, clearly California doesn't need anybody's help. They can, they can be their own ecosystem. Uh, New York, maybe too, Texas, maybe too. So um, I, I suppose that this uh, wire wreck ruling is not really going to move the ball forward in those States. And I take it there's um probably uh, politics involved that are not really related to liquidity that we talk about in the mid-sized States. First of all, that's true. I mean, states that are mid-sized, if you talk about Midwest, talk about Indiana or Colorado or naturally West Virginia, much like Delaware, that couldn't sustain its own liquidity. And now it's doing well on the base of sharing that liquidity with others. By the way, when we talk about shared liquidity, just for everybody to understand, it's not a, a binary situation. Our system today is configured in a way that you can almost on a daily basis decide what you want to share and what you want to keep as segregated, either cash games or tournaments. So it's very modular. It's not a one or zero decision. Uh, regarding the bigger states, I would, you know, I have slightly different opinion there. I mean, and we're looking at places like Spain. Uh, in Europe, probably the, the only two countries I would say that are able to stand alone, sustain their network. And even there, you can see the effect are France and Italy, each one with over 65, almost 70 million residents in them. Um, and even then, when you connected France to Spain, uh, you saw the uptick there. So the positive effect is always apparent. Even in California with 40 million residents, I would argue that a standalone network would do much less or do, wouldn't do as good as a shared liquidity. So even in the larger states, we're talking about a global sort of perception, uh, California is roughly the size of Spain. You would want to get that into the liquidity pool. And there's really no uh, hurdle to doing it. Uh, now that the DOJ opinion is hopefully uh, was struck down. So I hope those states and we, we from our end, educate and try to share the information that no one should really ring fence themselves. It sort of works against their own players and driving them or making them stay over the offshore market. Right. Well, I mentioned those three states because there had been talk can each of them be even before the kind of confusing 2018 uh, ruling by the Trump administration. So they ran into some kind of roadblocks in each case uh, without even worrying about that. And obviously yeah. it didn't go anywhere in the uncertain time. So now we're back to square one of the 2011 ruling from the Obama administration. So, uh, but my sense is, and do you have, do you have any, much optimism uh, in particular on any of those three states that for whatever reason, the, the past political issues are gonna be behind them and they're gonna move and legalize online poker? Well, first of all, in any uh, conversation or any uh, presentation that I give, I, I deliberately carve out the top four states because they're game changers. And I don't, I, in some cases, you know, this is a bull market as it is right now. I remember the days where I needed, it was a bear market and I had to put some, you know, sprinkle a little bit of optimism on top. Uh, yeah. That's that's no longer the case. I mean, it seems that like the analysts are, are competing against each other who has the highest bid for market, total addressable market. So I carve those out. Each one of them is a game changer, not just because of the liquidity they add in, but also because of their symbolic participation in gaming. And each one of them is very, very different than the other. California, uh, sadly, is embroiled in an inner political, I would say, even geographical uh, conundrum that I hope will get a resolution. I don't even think it's political by now. It's, it's mostly an inner intra-California matter. Um, Texas is just sort of crawl, walk, run. 
in terms of gaming. It doesn't have commercial gaming at this point, and they're talking about sports. In New York, that's sort of my hope is that we're able to put poker. It was always poker and then sport. Now it's sport and poker sort of left at the wayside. I hope that policymakers, um, you know, we're able to put poker over the line here, there in some way, shape or form. Uh, I think it's much less contentious than casino. It has a lot of entertainment value. But if of all the top three or four states, I would say that New York is potentially the closest but I've long, you know, long before I arrived to the U.S., I stopped handicapping uh, this market because I've been um, notoriously wrong through the years. That's probably the only consistent thing I've had going through this. You're not, uh, alone. You're not alone on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in good company. I'm just saying <laughs> yes, since, since, tw since 2012, when I ventured, we ventured into the market, we launched in 2013. People have been asking what happens next. And I like, you know, I maintain a nice, uh, a nice streak of being wrong. So right now I'm just <laughs> taking a step back. <laughs> All right. Well, great stuff. It's always good to talk to you. And Yaniv, uh, as a Pennsylvania-based online poker player, I was not able to draw out of you an exact launch date, unfortunately, although I understand why. But uh, fingers crossed that it's uh, that it's coming soon and we'll have I'd like, I'd like, your I'd brands like to, in our uh, states soon. Keep, keep an eye out there. Right now, you know, what we've put out there is that we're looking to do during the first half of the year. Um, we are, um, uh, we'd love to, as a, the, the saying of our uh, chairman, we'd like to uh, under promise and over deliver. So I'd like to surprise <laughs> you. Okay. And, and it sounds, it sounds like learning the lessons of, of making wrong guesses for a lot of years. Now it's, now it's under promise and over deliver is uh, yeah. sort of the, the alternative to that. It yeah. Seems like a good strategy. So it's another t-shirt that we'd <laughs> like to. <laughs> okay. Well, great talking to you. Thanks again, Yaniv. Thanks. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Before we get to our shared bankroll, let's briefly recap our official Super Bowl against the spread picks. We both took Tampa Bay plus three points. We both got it correct. So I'm able to say I finished a mediocre season and a terrible postseason on a positive note, while John clinched a winning postseason record, seven and six against the spread, and thus a winning record for the 2020-21 NFL season overall. Well done, John. And uh, now begins a long seven months without NFL picks. Although I don't know about you, but I mostly welcome the break. Yeah, well, I don't have the energy to look it up, Eric, but I think we won the, the Super Bowl pick by about 25 points. And I suspect if we went points bet style on how yeah. close we came against the spread in each game, that gives us a pretty big leg up. So I think we'd look better uh, by that uh, accounting. Um, I agree, though, on being time for an NFL break and and uh, props to you for enduring a frustrating season. I mean. I haven't entered a week under 500 for the season since sometime like very late in 2019, which for the first 10 weeks or so, that had been a blast too. So, you know, at some point I'm going to face that burden might be next year uh, that you've had, and I don't look forward to it. And uh, best of all, my annual golf pool deliberately skips the early PGA tour season begins only at Pebble beach on the weekend after the super bowl, this one. So I just shift gears. So I'm not mm -hmm. trying to uh, do double duty, but I've got something else to focus on. There you go. It's a lot like those uh, the the hardcore DFS players who play NFL uh, and are very into NBA as well, but but basically pretend the NBA doesn't exist until NFL ends, and then they and then they shift gears and focus on NBA. So yeah, good to have good to have one sport to focus on uh, at a, at a time. Uh, for those who can multitask and do a bunch, good for them, but uh, it's not everybody. Um, that, that ain't me, that's for sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we were both winners against the spread last week, uh, and we also had a winning bankroll week. Uh, we especially had a good Saturday night when the NFL handed out its 2020 awards. Aaron Rodgers, who I took at plus 550 to win MVP back in October, won as expected. Uh, that was a nice $220 win. And not quite as expected, we got the win with Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year. I put $50 on that at plus 400 around midseason. So that was a profit of $200 as TJ Watt, the betting favorite at the end of the season, finished in second place. Uh, unfortunately, I had three futures bets from two weeks ago on Super Bowl MVP, and I did not have Tom Brady among them. Uh, Mahomes at even money cost us $100. Tyreek Hill at 14 to 1 cost us $25. And my one play that looks somewhat sharp, Devin White at a ridiculous 150 to 1, 
uh, actually had the third lowest odds when the game ended. Uh, I don't know if people realize you could still bet on the MVP after the game was over, but before the award was announced and he had the third shortest odds at the time. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, close doesn't count for anything here. We lost $10 on that. Uh, John's golf bets also went poorly. Uh, John Rom top 10 missed and cost us $110 and Rom to win the tournament cost us $20 plus a $10 flyer on Zalatoris went limp if I may extend your outstanding joke from last week. Uh, another piece of bad news. I went against Rufus Peabody and bet over four and a half sacks at plus 120 odds. We ended up at four sacks with Brady falling on a bad snap and getting touched by a defensive lineman in the backfield, apparently not counting as an official sack. Uh, so we lost $100 on that. Uh, but John won with room to spare on his under 56 points bet that earned us $100. And my bet that John called the lock of the century, Djokovic aces greater than Super Bowl punts, was a sweat, but it was a winner. Seven punts followed by nine aces. So we won $100 there. Uh, before I total it up, anything to say about any of those results, John? Well, you know, Rom finished tied for 13th and Zalatoris was tied for 17th. So both of those were respectable. And I killed it with the over-under and you killed it with the preseason awards pick. So those were pretty sweet. And and the tennis one was nice too. So uh, fun week. And now I want to know how much we won. All right. Uh, I will let you know when all was said and done, we showed a profit of... $245 last week. Not as much as uh, we might have been <laughs> expecting, but uh, those, uh, those Super Bowl MVP whiffs uh, took away from uh, some of those awards wins. Uh, anyway, we are now $1,191 in the hole, and we have $747 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $8,062 available to bet with this week, but hopefully some positive momentum. And I'm up first. And I have a betting strategy that went one for one in real life this week. Uh, I'm going to put it to the test now with our podcast bankroll. FanDuel has these same game parlays where you can combine outcomes from the same game. And earlier this week, I did one for a 76ers game, you know, betting on a team I actually watch and follow. Uh, know, I know all the players that should theoretically help. Uh, and what I did was combine several low thresholds. Uh, the one that I had earlier in the week, I had Embiid to score 25 or more points, which he hits about eight or nine times out of 10. Simmons to score 10 or more points. Again, that's roughly his floor. And Tobias Harris, six or more rebounds. Same deal. That paid a little better than even money, and it won. So here we go with something similar for tonight's Sixers-Blazers game. Four legs, Simmons, 10 points, Simmons, six assists, Harris, six rebounds, and Embiid, eight rebounds. Uh, you know, some people do the crazy same game parlays that pay 500 to one and you need a few long shots to hit. I'm going for layups. Uh, this pays plus 108. So let's bet $100 to win $108 on the Sixers three core players. All right. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Hearing those numbers, I realize we have still have a lot of work to do. So uh, I'll try and ignore that and move on Get back to the golf. Um, give me an Australian Jason Day uh, from at Pebble Beach. He's rounding into form. He's 110 to win 100 for top 20 after I got a little too frisky with my romp pick last week at top 10. All right. And no, uh, no top tens or outright wins. Nah, Just going from the top we're, 20. We're bleeding on, on those little, we're bleeding on the flyers. And uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so my next bet, I don't know how you're going to feel about this one, John. Uh, I was looking at the early 2021-22 NFL futures odds, trying to find a team at a good price to win the Super Bowl, and not too many prices were jumping out at me. There's a lot still to happen with the quarterback carousel. I think the Dolphins might be an interesting choice if you believe that's where Deshaun Watson is headed. But anyway, none of the favorites felt like value. None of the medium long shots felt like value. And I was going down the list and I got all the way down to the Washington football team, 60 to one at most sports books, but 70 to one at FanDuel tied for the longest odds in the NFC East quarterback is a huge question mark. Of course, will they go with Alex Smith or Taylor Heineke, or will they acquire someone better? There's talk of a trade for Sam Darnold. That could be interesting. Certainly the ceiling is higher with him. Um, Anyway, they have a good young receiver and running back, great young defensive line, as you've uh, often spoken about, good defense overall. They play in a weak division. I'm not saying they'll be great next year, but I think they're better than 70 to one. They seem to be getting a bit disrespected by the odds makers. Uh, but I'll increase our chances of winning the bets slightly by taking them to win the NFC 
at 35 to one instead of the Super Bowl at 70 to one. It's a long shot, I know, but I like the price, especially if they do end up upgrading at quarterback. So let's bet 10 bucks to win $350 on the Washington football team to reach the Super Bowl. Do you like it, hate it, completely hate it? How are you feeling about that? Well, you know, they did play the Bucks better than anybody else, arguably, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So uh, they certainly weren't outclassed uh, with, uh, you know, uh, the team tapped Heineken. I mean, Heineke uh, for a two year <laughs> contract, by the way, the other day worth about eight million dollars. Right. I don't really like that move that much. They're going to get somebody better, as you say, maybe Darnold. Um, I don't think it's a terrible pick. Uh, the NFC is not that strong. And I know Brady's ageless, but he's still going to be your older. So uh, uh, what the heck for 10 bucks? It's worth the flyer. So uh, give me something a little more. Uh, a little less esoteric, I guess. Uh, Naomi Osaka at 112 to win 100, merely to get through her quarter of the draw. Uh, there's depth there, but she's still off the hot start, and I think she gets that far at least. Okay, so that's in the uh, Aussie Open that's going on right now. Okay, got it. Um, and just to uh, to double back to my uh, Washington football team bet, what are the odds looking like on the team having a name in time for next season, John? What's the latest uh, talk on that? Yeah, I have not heard anything new on that, which is kind of weird. Um, but there are a lot of people that are starting to get caught up in the idea of, you know, football team is so it's like a anti name. It's so cool that right. it's a name. I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't hate it, but I, I'd like something better. I've mentioned the Red Tails honors the Tuskegee Airmen uh, for World War II. I think that would be pretty fitting. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. Um, something uh, pigskins was amusing to me because the, you have the hogs heritage right. for the, all that. But um, I, I think, I think there will be uh, a real nickname <laughs> for next year though. Well, if they don't get a name in place by the time next season starts and my uh, my bet comes through and they actually at least reach the Super Bowl or maybe even win it, I think uh, I think then you're not changing. Then you're the Washington football team for a long time to yeah. come if you reach the Super Bowl with that name. That's probably true. Uh, plenty of superstition still prevails in sports. Yep. <laughs> All right. That will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Yaniv Sherman. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Well, I think a word of gratitude is due for me and for many others to college football at the NFL for making it through their seasons a lot more unscathed than uh, a lot of us expected. And it's especially true in the Northeast and Midwest where this winter, I mean, I just got 28 inches of snow in New Jersey in one day recently. Uh, it's been especially cruel due to COVID and, you know, and other issues. So uh, it's it's been a daunting time, but we got to mark off the weekends as we always do. And now here we are in mid-February and around here, March means not only madness, but maybe just a little luck of the Irish around mid-March. You know, social distancing, mostly mask wearing, outdoor dining with a kind sun shining down and with more and more people having been vaccinated. I mean, it feels as if, you know, as Mary Tyler Moore once said, does she need to be Googled by some? She probably does. (laughs) Mary Tyler Moore, uh, we're going to make it after all. So uh, stay safe out there, even if it feels like a finish is, you know, visible in the distance. Uh, But other than that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Gamble on.